Uh, and now I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 20. If you have one of those pew Bibles and you want to use one of those, it's on page 796. If you want to open, sorry, 769, if you want to open up there. Uh, and as you're turning, I just want to remind you of this. We're in a series that we started 16 weeks ago um, called Humankind. And we're looking at the interactions that Jesus had with other individuals, the, the human interactions, the human encounters of Jesus. And, and the reason that we're doing this uh, is really intentional. And, and, and here's why. I just want to make this really clear. For a lot of us, and this might not be all of us, but for a lot of us in the room, religion and institutional Christianity um, have clouded our vision as it relates to seeing Jesus clearly. Um, the, the, the trappings of religion, the, the misdeeds of institutional Christianity, the petty differences that people fight over in the church, the, the supposed rules and regulations and all of the different things, all of it has clouded our ability to see Jesus clearly, which is really ironic because this whole thing is supposed to be about who? Jesus, right? This is all, the, guys, the answer is... Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus, right? In fact, everything we need to know about God and his care for us or God and his love for us, God and his attitude towards us, anything we need to know, we discover in the person of Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. And so for the past few months, what we've been trying to do is really declutter our faith by taking a deep dive into these real life relational moments of Jesus. We, we just want to sit back and watch as Jesus walks walks into the room. We want to see who does Jesus go and, and put his hand on the shoulder of? Who is it that he talks to? We want to watch Jesus as he walks down that dusty road. We want to see what is it that catches his eye? Who does he look at? We want to listen as he banters with his disciples and he teaches them this new way to live in the world. We're, we're leaning in to see this. And, and as we're doing this, we're discovering some things. I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, one of the things we discover is that Jesus tends to favor people um, that we don't normally favor. Like he favors the kid that gets kicked out of class, right? That's who Jesus seems to favor. Uh, Jesus seems to favor the people who usually get rejected by churches. Um, he has this reputation for hanging out in places and with people that he shouldn't. Those in authority, they find him to be a threat. They see him as disruptive and dangerous, a troublemaker. But here's what's also interesting. Those who meet him, those who get to know him, they can't get enough of him. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed as you read the stories of Jesus, people can't get enough of him. The crowds, they just press in. And I think it's because in him, they see a man who doesn't measure people by the standards of society. He's just different. They, they see a man who doesn't love with the conditions of our culture. They see a man who just lives a different kind of life, who shows them an alternative way to live in a world that desperately needs one. That's what they see in him. Not only that, Jesus is continually disrupting their ideas, and it turns out our ideas, of what it means to, to be a person of faith, what it means to follow him. He disrupts, he corrects, he reshapes our thinking, including the text we're looking at today. Today, Jesus is gonna show us something that I think a lot of us in the room need to hear. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to read the text today and then we'll start unpacking it. So John chapter 20, verse 19 is where we're going to be getting. It's just after the resurrection of Jesus. And it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24, this is where it gets interesting. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So here's what I want you to understand. This story specifically confronts some thinking that exists in institutional Christianity. And here it is. That real Jesus followers don't have doubts. Um, how do I know this thinking exists? It's not because people explicitly come up to me and say, this is, this is what I believe. It's the way that people act. I, I, I believe this to be true because the way that people simply behave around their own skepticism or their own questions. Um, for instance, there, there are some people who I believe are attracted by, uh, they're, they're attracted to Jesus. They, they love the story of who Jesus is. They, they're fascinated by the community of the church. They're, they're, they're amazed at the impact we can make collectively together. But because they have unanswered questions about faith, they often feel like, well, I haven't gotten there yet. Like I can't quite go there because these questions haven't been answered. They have these unresolved issues. Or, um, or I have conversations with people inside the church and they approach me, oftentimes quietly, and they will confess that they're really struggling because they have questions or they have doubts. And so they begin to wonder, is my faith fragile? Is my faith incomplete? Is my faith broken in some way? And, and time and time again, what they indicate is that there's something wrong with their faith or wrong with their thinking simply because they doubt or ask questions. So I want to set the record really straight today. And let me just say this. Real Jesus followers do have doubts. Are you with me on this? All right, three or four of you. That's good. The rest of you are on for a long ride because that's what we're talking about. But I just want you to think about this though, right? Questions are a natural part of being a human being, right? Because it's a natural part of being a human, it's gonna be a natural part of our faith. Our faith does not invite us to check our humanity or our intellect at the door. It doesn't do that. And being human means we ask questions. And so doubt, questioning, is a natural part of the human experience. When thoughtful people approach the claims of Christianity, they are going to ask questions like, how do you know that God exists? Why would God allow suffering and evil? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Or, or did Jesus really raise from the dead? We ask those kinds of questions, not just outside the church, but inside the church. There are questions that thoughtful people have. When you've been doing this journey, there's going to be times when you say like, how could something so bad happen to somebody who loves Jesus so much? You ever wondered that? You ever seen somebody who just, they like love Jesus and yet horrible circumstances fall on them and you scratch your head and go, why? 
Or do you ever wonder, like when you hear the stories of what has happened in the history of the church, the atrocities that have been done at times in the name of Jesus, and you scratch your head and go, how did we ever, how could we ever do those things? And you question, like, what's wrong with the church? What's wrong, like, what's wrong with Christianity? Or, or how, maybe you ask this question, how do I live out my faith with conviction alongside of people who don't believe like me? That's complicated, right? That's difficult. Why are we so judgmental? We ask these kinds of questions. And the point I'm making is that there are all sorts of questions that can be asked and all kinds of people ask them no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith. But I love this quote. Um, one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the last hundred years. He said this. He said, now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. The greatest Christian thinkers on the planet. Like, yeah, I sometimes don't know, right? See, for for a lot of people, we think that faith and doubt are opposites. Like they're mutually exclusive ideas. And then if you think that way, then the goal of faith would be to eliminate doubt. So if there is the presence of doubt, that means you must be lacking some sort of faith, right? So so what happens in that paradigm, if you think faith and doubt are mutually exclusive ideas, then the moment that skepticism begins to surface, the moment you start to question, it starts to undermine your faith. And so if you're exploring Christianity, if you're kind of looking at the claims of Jesus and that question comes there, suddenly you're stopped in your tracks. I can't take another step because I now have this doubt thing inside of me. But if you're a Christian, if you're already there and those questions start to arise, Typically what we do is we just, we stuff it and we soldier on and our faith grows cold because of it. But what if faith and doubt are not opposites? Let me give you a different example. Let's talk about conviction and humility. Can I believe what I believe with deep conviction? Can I live out the implications of what I believe at a deep level and simultaneously be humble and know that my thinking and my perspective are limited? Can I have deep conviction and also be humble in the practice of my convictions? Is that possible? It's totally possible, right? Those two things go together. Having conviction and being humble about what you believe can be together. In fact, The same is true with faith and doubt. These two ideas can live comfortably together. In fact, doubt, I say this, doubt is often a sign that your faith actually has a pulse. That it's alive, that you're alive, that you're actually questioning, that you're thinking about things, that you're exploring, you're searching. I remember... uh, it was years ago now, but when I first met my wife, um, we, were, we were living in the same city, but going to two different universities. And I had stacked my schedule so that all my classes were on two days and I worked the other three days. And, and so it made just really difficult for us to see each other at different times. And so we were just getting to know each other. You know, we're kind of in those early stages of knowing each other. And I remember on those days when we weren't together, I would get a little worried because I knew I'm not gonna see her today, but other guys will, <laughs> Right? And I'm going to confess to you, there was some jealousy. And the longer we were apart, the more jealousy would kind of rise up in my heart. And I would have these moments where I would question. I'd think, man, is she really into me? Does she really like me? I mean, we haven't talked today. And, you know, just all the different things, all the different emotions, I would think about those things. And so what did I do? I gave up. No, I didn't give up, right? (laughs) 
we're married. I didn't give up. I leaned in, right? I had questions about her feelings for me. And so then I leaned into her and I asked, I wanted to know, what are your intentions? What, what do you think? And the more I asked questions in my doubt and in my insecurity, I became aware of her profound love for me. That's a, that's a microcosm of what we're talking about here. It's a fraction. See, what you discover is that faith and doubt, they're actually excellent dance partners. They really work beautifully together. In fact, let me just take it a bit further and just encourage those of you who have let your doubts keep you at a distance from God and, and maybe, um, maybe enlighten those of you who are a little skeptical of me right now. Um, there is this story in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 32, and it's about Jacob, Jacob, uh, patriarch of the nation of Israel. He's on his way returning home to his homeland and he stops in the wilderness and it goes to sleep and he ends up in this, in this sleep, he ends up wrestling the angel of the Lord. He ends up wrestling, it's, you know, you've heard of Jacob wrestling the angel. It's this particular story. So Jacob wrestles the angel throughout the night. And then at the end of this, this wrestling match, there's a conversation that takes place and it's in verse 27. The angel says to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. So God changes his name. And if you've been around church, maybe you're here last year, I talked about this in a series, that, that, that names are significant. The name that you are given has significance in the Hebrew culture. And so there's this significant moment where, where Jacob's name is changed to Israel. But do you know what Israel means? Wrestles with God wrestles with God. So the people of God, the so-called chosen ones of God, these people, their name literally means wrestles with God. They, they, they could have been walks with God. They could have been talks with God. They could have been worships God. They could have been loved by, they could have been all those different things, but it wrestles with God. God. And so by giving them this name, there is this open acknowledgement, the curtains being pulled back and God says, Hey, this journey called life that, that we're going to be on, it's going to feel between you and me at times like a wrestling match. And not only do we experience that in our lives, but we see it repeated in the scriptures. Let me give you another example. Um, Psalm 44 starts off like so many other Psalms. Um, it starts off with, uh, God, we've heard of all the good things you've done, you know, over and over the psalmist is just proclaiming like you've done this and you've done this and this is amazing and this is amazing. And he's just praising God over and over. But then there's this, there's this shift right about the point. He says, I don't put my trust in my weapons or in my strength. I put it all in you. Then in verse nine of Psalm 44, there's this dramatic twist and he he says, but you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. So in other words, God, we heard about how good you are, but we're not experiencing it. We're not seeing it in this moment. And then he goes on for the next 12 verses and he says, you made us turn our backs and run. You sent us like sheep to the slaughter. You sold us for a trifle. You made us the laughing stock of the neighborhood. And then at one point he says, and what did we do to deserve it? We never forgot you but you forgot us. And then finally in verse 23, he says this, awake, 
Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love, for your reputation. Come do something about this. Talk about wrestling with God, right? wrestling with God. Here is someone who is openly questioning God, openly complaining, even accusing God. And I'm not sure if you catch the irony of this, but this is found in a book that was allegedly given to humanity by God, right? So, so if you agree with that, as I happen to, isn't it a beautiful thing that God would allow an expression like this to be in his book that he gave us. He's affirming the journey that we're on with him and the feelings that we often have. He's saying, I want you to see there are gonna be times when we wrestle. There are gonna be times when we wrestle. So, so let me just tell you this. You set all the, the philosophical and theological conundrums you can think of, set those aside and just think about life for a moment. The reality is this. Life is complicated enough and you are intelligent enough that questions and frustrations are bound to happen to all of us, right? Which brings us back to our text. I don't think a conversation about skepticism can happen without us addressing the guy who maybe got the worst nickname in human history, Doubting Thomas. The poor guy asked one question, like one time, you know, it's like, I just like, I'd like to see some evidence, you know, I don't know. Like that's all he did in the, for eternity. By the way, you guys know Jesus did not give him that nickname. You know who gave him that nickname? The same people who think that doubt and faith are mutually exclusive ideas. Those are the people. Because his name is just Thomas. And Thomas is a rational thinking person, right? He's a rational person who asks the exact same questions that you and I would have asked. We would have done the exact same thing. That's, that's why I love his story. I not only love his story, but I love where his story falls in the book of John. Let me just share this with you. John's story about Thomas um, it, right after it, we read these words, verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these things that I've just told you are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the end of it. You know what's right before that? Thomas. All of these stories, and then it ends here with Thomas. He tells these stories so that you could have life and he saves the best for last. You see, Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And later they tell him about it, right? They're so enthusiastic. You might say it this way. They had this profound Jesus encounter and they're just trying to tell their friend about this. Sound familiar? Because this happens. Some of you, you've got a friend and maybe that's why you're here or why you're watching online because you've got a friend who's had this profound encounter with Jesus and they keep telling you, you got to come to church with me. You got to meet Jesus. They keep doing this and you're like, I don't get it though. Like they've had the experience and you haven't. And so you find yourself in this place or maybe the shoe's been on the other foot. Maybe you're the one who's been really excited and you had a profound experience with Jesus. And now you're, you're looking at your, your friend and you're saying, can't you just come to be a part of this? And you get so excited. If you haven't been there, you might not experience it and you might not be able to believe. That's what's, that's what's happening here. And that happens. That happens for people. So look at it again, verse 24. 
It says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. By the way, these are his friends. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and I place my finger into that mark and my hand on his side, I will never believe. I appreciate the honesty so much, don't you? So good. Because it sounds like something my friends say. Unless this... I, I don't think I can, right? And then continuing on, verse 26, notice this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. So I want to point out a couple of things here. First, did you notice how much time passed? Eight days. Eight days, over a week. So Thomas is in this doubting place for a minute, right? He's there. And and, and Jesus did not rush in to extinguish his doubt. Do you notice this? Jesus was okay with Thomas sitting in his questions, Jesus didn't say, oh, Thomas missed out. Oh, I better catch him. Anyone know where he is? I'll go find him real quick and make sure he believes. He doesn't. He lets him sit in this place, which means this. If doubt and questions are debilitating to faith, if doubt is destructive, if it means you're less than, it means you have an incomplete faith, then would Jesus have let Thomas sit in that place? That's the first thing I want you to wrestle with, right? Jesus is okay with Thomas being there. But here's the second thing, and I think this is really important. Thomas had questions. Jesus didn't give him answers. Jesus gave him evidence. He gave him evidence. And, and this is what Jesus does over and over again. There's this, um, there's this moment earlier in the life and ministry of Jesus when uh, Jesus is approached by the disciples of John the Baptist and they ask this question of him, are you the, the chosen one? Are you the Messiah? Th- they say, John sent us to ask, which is really strange because earlier on, it's John who identifies Jesus at his baptism and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was like, this guy's the one, he's the Messiah. But then some time passes and he starts scratching his head and going, I'm not really sure if he is. And so he tells his disciples, go, go, go ask him if he really is the one. Because why? John is doubting. Jesus. So his disciples, they asked the question, and then we read this, verse 21 of Luke 7. It says, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And then he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. What did he do? He gave them evidence, right? are you the one? He goes, watch this. (laughs) He does some really cool stuff for about an hour. And then he goes, take the evidence and go tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. He gives them evidence. Jesus doesn't give us answers. He gives us evidence. And there's a difference between answers and evidence. And I want you to hear that. There's a difference between answers and evidence. And Jesus gives us evidence. He gives us evidence. An answer is linear. An answer is static. An answer is is something that somebody gives you to fill in a blank. But evidence is given so that you can draw a conclusion for yourself, right? You get evidence so that you can draw a conclusion. And what you and I are looking for, we're not looking for answers. 
we're looking for evidence. We don't want people just to tell us what to believe. Don't just tell me what's right. I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to hold it in my hands. I want to handle the evidence. And then I want to draw conclusions that lead to convictions. Are you with me? I want to hold the evidence. This is why Jesus is okay with your questions. This is why Jesus is okay with you wrestling with skepticism. Because he knows on the other side of this skepticism, your faith is going to grow. He knows what's going to happen. So, so, so let me close with this. I will be the first to admit to you that I tend to ask a lot of questions. Um, there's times like C.S. Lewis, there's times I scratch my head and I think about what we believe from the perspective of people that don't believe what we believe. And I think they must think we're nuts. Sometimes I think about it and I go, man, this, this sounds really strange if you haven't been a part of this story, right? And I ask all sorts of questions. Some of the ones that I threw out earlier, those are the kinds of things I wrestle with. I will lay in bed at night and think about those things, but I'm committed to this. I'm committed to something that I want to share with you. First, I am committed to the idea, just like we read here, I'm committed to the idea that Jesus will meet me in the middle of my questions, I never let go of that. I never question Jesus's faithfulness or the reality that he's going to be in there somewhere. So, so there's, this, there's this ability that I have to, to question or doubt, but I hold tightly to the idea, Jesus might change my mind about a few things while I'm on this journey, but I'm not giving up hope that at the end of this journey, he's going to be there and I'm gonna love him more when we're through this. So I hold tightly to this. I'm not questioning you, Jesus. I'm just questioning all this other stuff. And I know somewhere in this, you're going to meet me, right? So that's the first thing I'm committed to. Secondly, I'm committed to being an equal opportunity skeptic. And let me explain this. When I'm skeptical or I'm doubting, I'm also skeptical of my doubts. So you might say that I doubt my doubts. And here's, here's why. Let me explain this. I have come to realize that in order to doubt one belief or idea, you have to be holding on to another belief or another idea that you have assumed to be more true, at least for a moment. You with me on this? Okay, four or five. I'm gaining numbers. This is good. So, so to doubt one thing means that I'm operating out of another set of beliefs or a way of thinking that I have determined to be more true. So the question I have to ask myself when I'm doubting is, where did that assumption or where did that belief come from? Why am I believing that this would be improbable? Like, wh what is that based on and where did I get that information? And why does it have more bearing on this idea than the other? Once you become an equal opportunity skeptic, it makes the plausibility of Jesus that much easier to reconcile, right? Let me, let me just, let me close with this. Um, years ago, I was, uh, I had this friend, still have a friend, <laughs> uh, one. Um, I had this friend that uh, his wife uh, came to church every Sunday, brought her kids. And uh, in fact, they started going to church down here when they lived, when they lived in Hillsboro and they'd moved to Spokane and they, he would go to church sporadically, but he was, he was faithful, but he was a guy that just had trouble believing scientist mind, lots of thinking, lots of questions about God. And so he just kind of rode along with his family, but he wasn't, he was just couldn't, couldn't get past his questions. 
And so, you know, time went on and there were different times. In fact, I remember he was at one of my daughter's baptisms. I remember him being there and celebrating with us and just a good friend and a good guy, but just had lots of questions about faith. And then one night we were working a a fundraiser at our kids' elementary school and he and I are filling popcorn things out of a popcorn maker, filling the bags and we're sitting there talking about sports and life and all these different things. And a woman comes up and she starts talking to me and she just says, I need you to pray for my husband. He's got all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts. And I'm I'm getting a little uncomfortable because she's basically describing my friend who's standing there. And uh, and so she's like talking about all these things and I'm just kind of stressing out like, how do I answer this and like try to be sensitive to him and just the whole dynamic. And his wife is just a few feet away and she's for years been asking me to pray for him and all this I mean the same kind of things going on and then all of a sudden he starts talking and he looks at her and he said hey here's the deal here here's what you need to tell him he needs to get where I where I've gotten he said I, I'll never answer all of my questions but I came to realize that Jesus was asking me a question about who he is and I needed to answer that one and then let the rest get taken care of after the fact Amen. and I just stood there in that moment and I was like so you're saying you're in. Is that what you're saying? Like, like one of these, so I like literally, they keep talking and I kind of slip down to his wife. And I'm like, um, I just think your husband might've just said he's a Christian now. Like, I don't know. It was just the, the craziest thing, but I just love that he put that there, that I'll never answer all of my questions, but Jesus has given me evidence and I need to make a decision about this evidence and what it means. Most of us in this room, regardless of where we are in the spectrum of spirituality, we are going to ask questions. And I am convinced if we listen and we look, we will find Jesus offering us evidence. Amen? So we're going to take communion together now. If, if you've got your cup with you, you can take that out. And just get it ready for me, if you would. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take the bread and the cup and I want you to just hold them out in front of you and just look at them for a moment. Just stare at them because what you are holding is evidence. You are holding evidence in your hand. There was a body broken and there was blood poured out for you. There was a night a couple thousand years ago when Jesus sat with his disciples in a little room in Jerusalem and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup is a covenant, a covenant in my blood between God and humanity. And then he said, I want you to eat and I want you to drink And I want you to do it always remembering me. And one of the most beautiful things we do is that here we are thousands of years later and we are still holding the evidence of a historical moment that changed history. We have evidence. And so in obedience to Jesus in this place, we eat and we drink together remembering him. Let's eat and drink together. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we thank you for your love and your grace, your tenderness. We thank you for not forcing yourself upon us, but simply putting evidence before us. Lord, right now I pray for anybody in the room that's been exploring faith in you, has been questioning whether or not they can trust you. I pray that as they see the evidence today, they might have the courage to say yes to following you. Lord, for all of us, allow us to wrestle with you in a way that grows our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, would you stand with me? I'm gonna offer the benediction in just a moment. Before I do, a couple of things. Um, Next week, you probably know this already, but masks uh, are completely up to you next week if you, if you want to. Uh... You know, every service, everybody gets more excited about not wearing masks than the preaching. What's the deal with this whole thing, right? Like, um, also, next week, um, we're going to start every month just highlighting some of our community partners. Next week, Friends of Refugees are going to be with us just for a few-minute interview, just so you can kind of hear about some of the work that's been going on in our city and, uh, and update you on that. So I'm excited about that, but... I'm going to offer the benediction. If you're willing to hold out your hands to receive it, I'll raise mine to offer this to you. May you be men and women who wrestle with God. And in your wrestling, may you find him. And when you find him, may your faith grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today, everybody. We love you guys.